How are we all going? How are... Uh, who's, who's really, really wet? Okay, so how are our tents going? So far, we're okay. All right. Leaking. All right, I see more rain out there. Okay. Well... I'm particularly thankful to God that at least it's Saturday and it's raining. We didn't cop rain a few days ago for five days straight. That would have been pretty ugly. Um, God is good. And um, I thought I'd draw your attention to uh, Don Carson's book on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is not for everyone, but for those of you who've been a Christian for a while and, and ought to be maturing and eating kind of meals of steak and solid veg rather than just beginning the first steps of the Christian life, this is the book for you, okay? To read these sort of stuff, to chew over it, you, maybe in your quiet times, daily devotions, uh, Don Carson, great expositor, and that's the kind of stuff that you want to get started or get used to reading to grow and to mature, to being solid, to putting down deep roots, classic Psalm 1, into Christ Jesus so that when all the winds and struggles and challenges of life will come, we'll go that tomorrow, you'll stand like one huge big oak tree and we'll not move because the challenges and the struggles of life are coming if they haven't already come upon some of you, I realise they have. But there we go. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get into the word again. Father, we thank you for your word, that through this word you lead us to Christ Jesus. And we pray that uh, once again we would see how you see the world and how we ought to live in a way that honours you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to remind you why we're studying this sermon on the mountain in Matthew. It's because we want to know Jesus. Now, in this very room, we have some who maybe for the first time are hearing the name of Jesus, and it's not a swear word, right? You're not at all familiar with the Bible, there's others here, of course, at the other end of the spectrum where you have walked with the Lord Jesus since infancy. Irrespective of where you're at, that same motive is what ought to be going on. We want to get to know Jesus more and find out who he is. Even if you don't yet believe in him, that's okay. For those of you who, who walk with him, it's a great time to reflect on, do I, do I know Jesus and so easily we can complicate the Christian message when it's not complicated. It's very simple, really. It's about his death and resurrection. And if you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. The Christian life is about believing, obeying and trusting Jesus. If you're a Christian, you committed your life to him. I like to say these words. I have given my life to Jesus. It is so clarifying knowing who you are. I have given my life to Jesus. That's it. But that statement is profound. My decisions, my everything I own, my future, um, he calls the shots. My purpose is to know him and obey him so that he would be pleased. I am, and you are, at least many here, are disciples of Jesus. And we're going to study Matthew so that we would know him better, so that we would hear his voice better, so that we would understand him, know how he thinks, know what pleases him, know where he wants us to go, know how he wants us to live. 
Um, you see, wouldn't it be good to say at the end of camp, not just that you got to know the book of Matthew better, but to say, you know, I know Jesus better. I know Jesus better. I know him more, love him more. And Matthew 6 falls in the middle of the Sermon on the Mountain. It's the most famous sermon preached in the history of the world, which is a pretty big statement. He's teaching his disciples of what it, of what it looks like to live the life in the kingdom of heaven, preaching the kingdom of heaven because it's God's rule and reign is here now. It's coming in, in this time when Jesus brings it. And what does it mean to live under the rule of God? We've seen in chapter 5, what we've just seen is um, it's, the Christian life is not about rule keeping. That is, you, you need to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. It needs to go beyond the rules. That is, it has to have a tra- heart transformation. It's not enough to just to, to kind of turn away from murder. You actually have to turn away from anger. Not just to turn away from adultery, but to turn away from lust. That is, makes us realise that we need more than us. We need Jesus. And he came to give us these new hearts and these new desires. So here we are now in chapter 6, and he turns to religious practice. I use the, 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 this, um, the term posit- in a positive sense. It's acts of devotion. It shows These acts show how devoted you are, how sincere you are, how enthusiastic you are, your zeal. It's about how you live the Christian life, putting your faith in action. You show your devotion. And he talks about giving and prayer and fasting and uh, about doing these acts and pressing us for hearts that are right before God. The key is verse 6, verse 1. 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. I'll read the passage again in full a bit later, but just, just read out that again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 1 sums up everything, and he'll go on to give an explanation of that and the rest of this, this passage through to 18. The principle is, don't do good work so others will be impressed with you. Don't engage in any activity so that others will be impressed with you. In other words, show-off Christianity has no value to God. In fact, it's actually dangerous for us because you can think you're doing well, that God is impressed with you because you take your spiritual temperature from others and their reading of you rather than taking your spiritual temperature from how God sees you and how your relationship is with God. Jesus says, beware, watch out, be on your guard. Don't think that God is applauding your life when you are living for other people's applause. That's the principle. And he's going to give us three examples so we get the point. We're going to focus particularly on the warning. But uh, let's re- I'll read the passage. Be careful, verse so, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus is pushing us to two important questions about religious practice. One, what's your motive? And two, what's your reward? So the first point, what's your motive? When it comes to our religious activities, Jesus is actually not concerned with activities themselves per se. And it's important to say that. He's concerned with motives. That is, among devout Jewish people, their three main most important ways in which they put their practice, devotion into practice was giving to the poor, prayer and fasting. Those three things. And he's not putting down those practices. Oh, he's not saying, oh, you people, when you pray, you're just trying to impress people. No, he's assuming his disciples will do that. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, assuming they will give to the needy. When you pray, assuming they will pray. When you fast, assuming they will fast. It's important for us to remember that his disciples were to be people who practiced this acts of righteousness. So what he's saying is, now, now that you do trust in me, it's not like you don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter how you live. No, no, no. How you live matters. It is to be grace-motivated, but it requires effort. Because we are forgiven, there is to be real effort, practice of righteousness, practice of holiness. We're called to work at the right thing. So you read in Philippians 2, it's God who works, God works in you, but it's you who also will and act according to his good purpose. See how the two two work together? God is working in your life and you are willing and acting, also working with God. Two at work requires effort. Or 1 Timothy 4, train yourselves to be godly. Have you ever done any training that hasn't required any effort, sweat, discipline? I haven't. 
train yourself to be godly. We are to train ourselves to be righteous. And Jesus wants us to, to do these acts of righteousness. The important thing, the issue here, is how we do them and why we do them. It's our motive. That's the big question. What's your motive? But, of course, some of you in Bible study the other day were studying the fact that as we go out into the world after the Beatitudes, we're to be salt and light in the world so that the world would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So how do these two passages work, right? We're supposed to go out into the world, live such good lives amongst people that they would glorify our Father in heaven, but we're not supposed to do things in the world because we'll, look, we'll get a reward from them or we'll be trying to please them. How do, we, do you see the tension? How do we work these two things out? Um, we're supposed to do things in the public face, in the world. We're not supposed to do things in public. Oh, well, which one is it? The answer is both. God wants us to live uh, lives of righteousness and goodness that shine out in the world of darkness, that give glory to God. That is the motive that God wants. You're not supposed to hide yourself away in a tower um, so that no one in the world sees you. No, we're told to live in the world for the glory of God. But when it comes to religious practice, to make sure that our motive is not for others to notice us. Because then it would no longer be for the glory of God. It would be, but it would be for your own glory. And he warns us about seeking the attention of others as an end in itself. Because no longer it would be about God, it would be about us. And he calls us out on it. He doesn't mince his words. He wants to get our attention. And he calls these people hypocrites. It's the word from the word of the world of theatre. It's the person who knows how to put on a show, to put on a face, a facade. Right? And he gives three examples and he makes fun of them. I know where you captured that as it's read. But it's the first one, the first hypocrite is the one who goes to give. And literally, as he says, he plays the trumpet. Okay, it's a mutant trumpet, right? But you see the picture, Jesus, he's making fun. The person goes out, blows the trumpet, and then writes the check. You know, the big cardboard check that says, hey, 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 look what I'm doing. Right? That's the way of the world. Or, you know, blows the trumpet and, and, and puts the money in, into the plate. It's showy. Um, or it's the person who talks about somebody in need and how they helped out, you know? Were they really concerned about the person in need? Or were they more concerned that other people saw that they were a generous man or woman? That's why they blow the trumpet. It's all about their name. And so they call a press conference, they create a foundation, they buy a brick with their name carved in it, and they just find a way of kind of just casually mentioning in conversation, oh, by the way, did you know I give to so-and-so? I look after so-and-so? Just casual, subtle. That's what they do. And then, of course, there's the hypocrite who prays. And they look for a stage. So they come to church in a big, deep, oh, prayerful voice, maybe. How do you do that? Dear, I don't, you know, however that is. Or in Jewish culture, you, you went to the street corner at the right time of day and you prayed and you cried out to God in a loud voice. 
Uh, See, is there motive, communion with God, dependence, reliance, that God would intervene? Or is there motive that others would notice and say, wow, what a man of God. Or the last one's the best, I think, the person who fasts. They're moaning, right? They're like, oh, and they're unkept, pasty-looking, sickly-looking, a bit of drooling out the side, right? just waiting for someone to come past and say, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm, f- I'm fine. Oh, you look terrible. Well, don't tell anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm on a fast, a oh, 40-day fast. Well, how, how long you been on it for? Oh, 10 minutes. <laughs> right? What's their motive? The kind of hunger for God or the attention of others? To put aside distractions or that others would think, what a passionate spiritual person. Now, it's easy to laugh at them. And, uh, but the point is, Jesus doesn't share it with us so that we laugh at them. He wants us to see us in them, right? To see yourself in them. Yeah, they're extreme cases. But you know what? We all do them. I do it. And you know what? As you go on in the Christian life, you get better at it. More subtle, more little, little ways of doing it where you're drawing attention to yourself or you do it for the wrong motive. Oh, what I want you to do now, give a break. It's risky, but I'm going to try it. I want you to talk to the person beside you. I want you to do this. I want you to work out what are the big ones that are our religious practice, where we could do it. And I want you to come up with what's called a humble brag, right? It's called a humble brag. It's kind of where you're just like subtle, right? Like, I just can't believe it, you know, like I just got 95% in that exam. You just told me you got 95%, dude, right? Oh, you know, like, it's just so awkward. You know, that guy came up to me and just said, I'm just so beautiful. You know? I don't know what to do about it. You know? I might just have to Twitter it. Right? So there you go. I want you to come up with two things. I want you to come up with what are the kind of our public acts of devotion, where are we kind of most acute, and I want you to, there's because some subtle, humble brags, right? There you go. Have some fun. Not you wouldn't do it, but other people might do it, right? You, you know. Um, public acts of devotion. Like, what are the what, Our prayer. It's probably still prayer. Maybe our singing kind of thing. What are the ways in which we do it?
okay. Let's wind those up. What, um, the, fir- the first question is, can you think in, in our context, we're not back in, you know, first century Judaism, kind of, here we are in the land of Oz and mon- Christians, what, where are the kind of public devotions life where this stuff can tempt us the most? Did you come up with those areas, some, some ideas? Who wants to shout them out? Worship, yeah, okay, the, the, that's right, our, our singing, you know, how do, how do you sing? Is there hands in the pockets? Or, or do you kind of put your hands here, or is it, you know, is it kind of that look, or is it that look, or is it that look? <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like, that's right, isn't it? What, what? It's right. It's, that's public. We're all singing. It's good. Yeah. There's one. What's that? Ministries. Yeah. Exactly. See, why is it? Why is it? I have seen ministry across church, right? Why is it we seem to do a lot better at getting people for the public ministries than the behind-the-scenes ministries? Why is that? I don't know why that is, although I do suspect Jesus tells us. Right? But that's right, ministries. Yep. Other ones? Tithing? Yeah, giving? Yeah, money, absolutely. Lots of, yes, exactly. Other? Prayer, absolutely. Praise, you're praying in small groups, absolutely. You know, did you get, and also different Christian cultures, ever been different Christian cultures? There's different ways of praying. They pray. I, I have friends who can take off, I, I won't do it, but you know, there's certain accents, certain Christian cultures have different ways of praying. If you pray that way, then you're in the, then you're really praying. You're, you're on the right spiritual, yeah, right group, that's right. You get the right accent, right tone. Yeah, absolutely. Right vocab, that's right, yeah. Right spiritual prayer, that's right, yeah. Others? <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. It's public stuff. Whenever, yep. All right. But, but I think that's exactly right. See, have you ever thought that you ever been there singing, say, singing, or praying, no matter... And you're there and you're singing and you're thinking, you know what? And you have a kind of an out-of-body experience and you're saying, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. I wish people were seeing me now because that, that was good. Ever had that? Well, you pray, you kind of go, that was a pretty good prayer. Hope somebody heard that. Or, you, or, you, or, you, or you're, sing, you know, you're singing and you're going, and you have a slightly out-of-body experience going, yeah, that's good. Ever done that? Anything like that? Well, that's a kind of indication that it's no longer about God and it's about you, right? Now, Jesus is not saying you can't do anything in public. That would be far too out of whack. Jesus prayed with his disciples. And uh, it's not like there's never times you're supposed to give. The point is, what's your motive? What's your heart at that point? And the simplest test that Jesus is giving to help us see and to test the purity of our motives is, are you willing to do it in private? Just keep it simple. Because we know, this is an important point to get, we know that our motives are always mixed. Right? Even if you try and pray perfectly, 
Your motive will always be mixed. There's always some sin in it. Even when you sing, mixed. You've got to hold on to that. But try and make sure that you pray, pray in private. More in private than in public. Try to give more in private, fast in private. Acts of righteousness. Um, see, if your acts of righteousness are only happening when people are watching, then that's an indication that you have the wrong motivation at play. So you can see the real question, do I do these in private or do I just do them in public with others? Second point, what is our reward? Jesus references seven times in this passage um, the reward. In each passage, he repeats the formula. The person who wants to be seen, this person has received their reward in full. That's it, over. You see the brevity of it? The praise of man or woman is done. It's over. It's fleeting. And the Bible describes men and women as grass. They come up they're like, and they're gone. And so trying to seek the, the praise of grass is foolish. But then Jesus points out that there is another reward. You see, when your acts of devotion are done in private, give, pray, fast, or whatever, your Father who sees them in secret will reward you. Now, you've got to get a hold of that because that is mind-boggling if you can grasp it. What's being saying here is the creator of the universe who formed you as clay, who made you, and, and to whom there's nothing you can do to repay, uh, though you rebelled against him, yet he comes and saves you, though you didn't earn it or deserve it, He saves us by sending the one true perfect man, Christ Jesus, to take on our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. He lays down his life for us, though we didn't earn it, and he gives us us this um, life where now, through faith, by grace, we receive, um, we are justified, that is declared right before God. We are glorified, we are adopted into his family such that we can call God our Father. Now that is most extraordinary. Stop it just there. Just there. That's good, isn't it? That is really, really, really good. You could spend the rest of your life joyfully serving as a slave, doing everything he wants you to do. But you know what? His generosity doesn't stop there, does it? He says, if you obey me and you serve me, even though I redeemed you and saved you, I'm going to reward you for it. That's the kind of God I am. That's what I'm like. You see what he says in Hebrews 11.6? He says, those... He will reward those who earnestly seek him. What does that tell us about the one true God? It tells us that he overflows with generosity. He loves to bless and to reward his children. Do you think of God like that? See, it's not like God is up there looking down upon you and if you do some little sin wrong, he goes, there. And he pounces on you. See, you're a sinner. You're disobedient. 
No, no, no. He's not like that. He saves you and he loves you. And um, and when you do things that you're supposed to do because you love him, he doesn't say, well, you know what, they're supposed to do that because I saved them. No. Um, he loves to reward our obedience. Now, that's difficult for us to understand, right? Because some of us would say, look, if there's a reward, then in some way the act must be in some way tainted. And I get that because it seems like the motivation is selfish. You know, you're motivated by that gold coin God's going to give you, that palace he promises, you think. None of us should desire the reward in and of itself. That's the wrong motivation. What reward have you got for me, God, say? But you can't get around the fact that Jesus is very excited and he keeps repeating this fact. God is going to reward those who serve and obey him. And the point is not to live for the reward, but the point is to live for God. God is the rewarder. And what God gives is always better than what any human audience could give you. Live for the glory of God and obey him. Whether anybody notices or praises you or cares, live your life for the glory of God. He is better. He is his own reward. He brings blessing and praise forever. Such a blessing and praise that this world can never offer. But do you see what that means? What it means is the simplest life, the least impressive person, according to this world, can live a life of eternal significance when you live it for the eyes of God. You see, you may feel in this life that you're being passed over, forgotten, unappreciated by the people around you. I mean, I don't know. Maybe things are tough at home and you help out a lot. Family's doing it tough, mental health, single parents, financial issues, all sorts. You, you know, you wash, you clean, you're helping out. And no one knows. Or, or you're at school. And you seek to serve Jesus, to be a good witness to your mates, to care for them, to be godly. But no one seems to notice, nothing seems to happen. You feel insignificant that no one cares. Well, let me tell you something. Your Father in heaven has noticed. He sees every act of devotion and faithfulness that you do in secret and he notices you. And what you've done in secret, he will reward you. His well done, his joy, his pleasure in your life will be more worth more than any accomplishment, any praise that this world has to offer and live for his reward. His well done. We want to prayerfully examine ourselves in the light of this passage. Take a few moments. Think over... Um, Think over the stuff that makes you feel like you're doing a good job and try and think about those things and try and work out, are you being motivated by the praise from people, from other people? And if, like me, you will see some ugly things, will you repent of those things? Repent. The blood of Jesus came down, was spilt for hypocrites. There's hope for us. If we confess our sins, repent of them, his blood will cover us by the Holy Spirit. 
He's not yet finished with us so that we will do the right things for the right reasons for the audience of one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the blood of Jesus, you've called us to a new and living way where we would seek not to live for the audience around us, the eyes of men and women, but we would seek to live for the audience of one, for your praise and your glory alone. Father, we confess in our weakness and frailty we sin. We are often and always drawn to the praise of those around us in so many subtle ways. Father, forgive us. Please help us to live for you. Wash us anew with the blood of Christ. Fill us with the Spirit so that we would go out once more and seek to live a life that would honour you and bring glory to Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.